0: welcome back friends fellow philosophers and authors to this wild isle writing cast i have with me back yet again the dark evil wizard nathaniel cumberledge how are you doing nathaniel well oh, can't pronounce your name today how are you doing nate
1: <laughs> i'm doing uh just fine fine enough to do this
0: <laughs> yeah that's about as fine as you can be right um Thank you again for coming back, uh, Nate. This time we're going to be talking about setting. I think this is going to be a fun conversation and I'm kind of glad that it got, um, let's say passed down to about midway through the topics because uh, the other topics that we've covered before on the wild Isle writing cast will, I think, uh, let's say, I don't want to use the word synergize. That's the wrong word, but they will become relevant and and we'll see as we develop onward. Uh, But, before we begin i have uh the usual and unusual announcements so uh by the time this releases i think it will have been over but i have a kickstarter running so just in case for some reason this comes out and the kickstarter is still up which i don't think will be doesn't matter the point is uh actually no the kickstarter will be will be uh up when this comes out sorry i've I've recorded a bunch of podcasts um so the kickstarter is for Juan Smoke Tales from the Labyrinth. It is a short story collection in the Juan Smoke series. It's like a spin-off sequel to uh, Broke in the book I have out now, which you can find on my website, Um I am raising money for the covers because I'll be releasing the stories in batches and then all together as a collection. But that means I need five book covers and five book covers is five book covers more. Than I can afford. So, if you would like to help me uh, get these stories to publication, go over to my website. There's a gigantic picture. Uh, you can click on it; it'll take you to the Kickstarter page. If you don't have spare cash to support or donate, do not worry. Just please share the link around as far and wide as you can, and that will help out plenty. Thank you so much for that, and. While you're there, if you are an author, check out my editing page, the Wild, Wild Isle Style Guide, uh, where I offer my editing services focusing on uh, the stylistic considerations of prose, really harping back to the days of pulp, but also some of the uh, newer stuff, things like Cormac McCarthy was a big inspiration for me, uh, but I also like, you know, like Mark Twain and and such. So If you like classics and modern and weird postmodern works altogether stylistically, you can hire me there. I also focus in on theme, and you can get plenty of that. You'll you'll notice that during the podcast. Uh, I already mentioned my book. Uh, Is there anything else I want to shill? Not quite today. Oh. Last thing, don't want to forget, if you want to appear on this podcast, you can, uh, or if you have a topic to recommend, uh, you can do that too over at com slash contact, or through any of the social media that works as well. Uh, get a hold of me that way, recommend a topic, uh, we're getting recommendations all the time and it's great. You guys' ideas are excellent and I would love to talk to more and more authors to uh, you know, spread our names around and uh, develop the conversation with a diverse range of ideas. All right, Nate, do you have anything you want to shill?
1: Uh, your, your most recent collection has a cactus man and I think that's great.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, cact- uh, I quite like cactus man. His, um, his name is runs in the sun. If you, are the rare person who might have seen a stream done by my friends. We were playing Morrowind Online. I was uh, role-playing My Cactus Man Runs in the Sun. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the topic of the podcast today, and that is setting. So um, Nate, the, as always, we should start out by defining our terms. When I say the word setting in regard to fiction, what comes to mind for you?
1: The trappings and time and place, generally, of your, uh, of the, at least, the atmosphere or environment of the story. Uh, setting doesn't... Setting has, often has more to do with flavor than the story itself, because most people tend to write character-driven stories. And a lot of character-driven stories are easily transplantable across multiple spaces. So to me it's most unless you're writing something like historical or something like that it's generally mostly flavor trappings
0: but okay so that was go good to, so you essentially define trappings there because i have in the the typical academic definition for setting is time and place but i do like the um addition of Trappings because, um, and we'll discuss that. I have that down on the list in the notes when setting is mere background dressing or mere trappings, and when it is in an integral element to other elements of the story. Um, but I think it's worth expanding actually. So, um, when I taught at university courses, uh, I would get to setting in my literature classes and like the the chapter on setting was teeny tiny. It was almost no text. And I thought that was a real shame because the words time and place have in in and of themselves a lot of significance, right? So, um, So if I say that a story is set within a particular time, Nate, what comes to mind to you? Like what do you think is going to be relevant to the aspect of time in regard to setting?
1: Uh, The level of development of uh, the societies involved, for the most part. Uh, The cultural, socioeconomic conditions are also very relevant. Because sometimes a story set in like 500 BC can only be told in that time, versus a story that's set in the here and now can uh, only be told in this moment in time and be relevant to a people. But uh, sometimes um, the story is so universal that the setting doesn't matter. But it's highly variable based on execution and theme.
0: Yeah, in particular with regard to culture, I think that is very much the case, right? Because a culture, and I do have I have I've culture written down as one of the two major variables for time. Uh, but that is going to dictate the values. And um it is true that there are universal values, but there are also parochial values, right? Like um the classic example that comes up on the podcast quite a lot is the difference between, let's say, the modern idea of hero and like let's say the ancient Greek idea of hero. Right? Those are very different. And so um you're going to depending on when the story is set, you you could transplant those but it's going to feel anachronistic and to some people it might uh, offend their their sensibilities right like if you read an ancient hero in the modern era uh, some people are going to cry and bitch and moan and, and whine about it uh, because it doesn't fit their modern uh, idea of uh, what a hero is um, and I'm sure vice versa the ancients would have just you know not been very impressed with the the heroes of our our modern era and so the the time definitely matters what about technology though
1: especially in stuff like science fiction technology uh plays a very big role if your story is like a really well researched uh speculative hypothesis about how like commerce and merchant guilds of the asteroid belt would function for example but uh
0: so yeah,
1: technology, <laughs> Yeah, just like, not specifically Dune, but that same sort of vibe, like, uh, this is a very, like, well-thought-out future society that takes into account all of our technological advances, or even, you know, in Dune's case, like, regressions in a lot of ways. Because uh, Dune, despite being in the future, is also a very, like, uh, medieval or Bronze Age story, in a sense.
0: Yeah, if I remember right. Yeah, I I remember right. They banned certain technologies uh, because, like, I think artificial intelligence is banned in Dune, which is why they need the Mentats. Is that right?
1: Yes. So they banned artificial intelligence not because, like, the typical trope of robot rebellion or anything, but they felt, like, collectively, like, the religious organizations of humanity felt like... uh, technology was making us too lazy and we weren't fulfilling our potential and we were just stagnating so we all just decided eventually as a species to throw away robots
0: <laughs> yeah well i mean that's kind of a major a major theme um part, as a result of the setting right like the sardau car from like this desolate terrible planet where they like everything is awful and that's what makes them like the best warriors and they could only be opposed by the space Muslims who live on uh Space Saudi Arabia. An um, even worse
1: planet, yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but also I think there could be smaller differences uh with technology that actually can have a large impact on the story. This is why um I actually think setting as trapping uh there are many examples of it, but I think we take for granted a lot of aspects. So like technology, for example. Now, if I say something is set in the the contemporary modern era, particularly within the past hundred years, that doesn't mean a lot, right? So um, if something is set right now with smartphones versus set 20 years ago where you have cell phones, but not really smartphones versus if you go back um, 20 years before that, where you have phones and then you go back far enough before that and, like, the ability for people to communicate, uh, you know, uh, that changes quite a lot of what of how the story can progress, how the characters are going to solve problems. Um, and I don't want to get too deep into that because that's how setting kind of touches in on plot. But, um, you know, what do you think of the significance of, let's say the small bits of uh technology that suddenly start to impact other aspects of the plot like that. Like just thinking of like the development of computers and phones in the past, I I don't know, 100 years.
1: I would say that uh as far as character driven stories, uh communication technology is probably one of the biggest ones. But it also has the widest uh setting implications a lot of the time. The changes in communication technology. Uh, one example is I Read. I'm almost done with it. I started reading a little bit ago. Space Viking by H. Beam Piper, who discusses how eventually in the future we developed like fast and light travel for spaceships, but we never developed a way to tr- to communicate uh, faster than light. So uh, the so space became super localized, and due to the lack of communication technology, uh, planets became very self-contained because the only time you were able to get a message to anybody or communicate anything uh, was if you could send somebody out to deliver a thing directly. So there was no central government, and people were pretty independent. And also, uh, more contemporary... Well, more history-based, the Wild West was probably largely settled by the introduction of railroads and the telegraph. Telegraph in particular. Because, like, um being able to disseminate the will of washington to the other side of the country in like no time flat was a huge deal in maintaining the civility of large of uh, developing settlements.
0: Yeah. Especially that's since super. Go ahead.
1: I I was going to say especially since a lot of cowboys and a lot of the stereotypical like heroes of western stories and of course in real life were ex-Confederates who were trying to escape the thumb of the Union after the war. So um, it's <laughs> the concern of those people eventually developing communities and rebelling was very real.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting, because like what we've done there is we've kind of outlined just so, so far, we're, we're mostly talking about time and time's relation to technology, and then how that technology both relates to culture, but then also how... Um, It's not linear. So, like, as technology expands, like, sometimes it um, creates a kind of uh, what we're used to now, right? The idea of nation states and like a kind of broader order or even international global level orders because of our communication technologies. But if you went too far, then the communication gets outpaced by other uh, forms of transportation, let's say, like if you have light speed transportation. And so, uh, what that would mean is that you could go so far in time with technology that it actually regresses and you get something interesting off the back end of that. Um, and that kind of uh, leads us to environment too, right? Because that's kind of where you, le- you left off where as you expand out west, you've got all these essentially exiles, right? Um, if not exiles, self-imposed exiles. And, and that's the other aspect of setting, right? The environment. Um, we had we mentioned that a little bit with with Dune, right? So like you've got the harshness of a desert planet making a people into hardy warriors who were extremely disciplined and had very uh, rigorous hierarchical societies because that was a product of their setting, right? Um, can you think of any other examples in which um, the environment is like a really big component to to setting?
1: Uh, one example of something that I have read is of uh, uh, the decadent city state of Melnibone from Elric of Melnibone. Uh, the setting definitely influences. It's like a high, a highly urbanized thalassocracy in the middle of the ocean. That, uh, due to their state of security. And years of supremacy have led them to become very soft decadent people. and they're a big part of the exploration of the early story stories, well especially the first one, is how this bored noble aristocracy that used to rule the world passes their time with hedonism, drugs, and trying to search for meaning in what they could perceive as a meaningless world. So the opposite end of the coin from the dune, Sardaukar, uh Fremen divide there. But in a
0: fantasy story, yeah, that reminds me a bit um, to to kind of take a different angle. So in my own work, in *Wandsmoke Broken*, you start out in this village south, um, and to speak of environment, it's like on the border of civilization, right? There's this poison, acidic mist that prevents people from settling too far north of the the village, um, and essentially, what you have is a village of um, miserable. Uh, what would what would you call them? Like 18th maybe early 19th century coal miners and so they're all uh like alcoholics eating these mushrooms delved out by this cave dweller in order to deal with the fact they all have like black lung and uh you know their backs are all bowed over from crawling through tiny tunnels um and that produces a kind of environment, like obviously I took that from West Virginia. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's where I, I grew up, right? So this idea of the environment being this kind of, um, it has some resources, but it uh, does not foster the, let's say the technological development um, that you would, you you might see. And so you can, you can play around with how setting produces the characters and then what those characters are going to be like, and that produces the society and the culture, um, which in turn affects both like religion and government, right? So um, playing off of, uh, let's say, setting even more, so I'll take Juan Smoke. it is essentially a bunch of, they're not quite city-states. Like they're more like, um, at one point, a federated kingdom that wasn't a kingdom before, which is how it ended up like a federated city state kingdom, but then the kingdom collapsed. And so now you have these individual, um, like, uh, I guess you'd call them communities, towns, villages, some, some as large as cities, um, that because of the, uh, the governance that was set up by the prior monarch before the rapid fall of that monarch. So they didn't have a revolution. They just had like a, Uh, kind of like a collapse of the system before, so they're operating off of the skeletal system. Um, And different cities have different, um, let's say, prominent, what's the word, uh, authoritative figures. Like one is very religious because they were the settlers from the Puritans who came over with the conquering people. Uh, Some of them are quite decadent because of uh, essentially being forward in time due to an advance in technology, which changes their society and their government to essentially be this, um, let's say, totalitarian um, nanny state is the best way to describe it, and et cetera, et cetera. So you can see how just by changing those those elements of time and place uh, or relative time and place, a, rel- or a better way to say it is relative technology and environment you produce different societies, religions, and governments, and that is what we kind of call culture. Now, that's all rather significant. Um, what we haven't really talked about are stories where the setting is mere background, mere trappings, mere you know dressing, uh, an ornament, ordinance ornament, ornament. There we go. So I had to say the word like twenty times. Um, are there any examples, Nate? You can think of where. The, the background or the setting is just background. Like, it doesn't have uh, significant impacts on the plot or the characters or the theme.
1: I'm going to go ahead and cite the story I am currently reading again, although I did discuss how technology radically altered how that civilization functions. The characters and their story is a very futile one because it's uh, it, it was... There was a weird kick in the 1950s and 60s of writing, uh, like, futuristic stories that had feudalism in it. So, uh, there was, like, a- uh, the the central plot is, like, this quarrel between two royal families over this marriage, and then they assassinate- uh, And, and, like, all this uh, stuff- I'm not gonna go a blow-by-blow, but the idea is this story could have happened in, like, medieval France with no changes. And uh, that it's interesting that a story can uh, just have this highly transplantable thing across time and space, but have these environmental conditions that can justify it, the trapping transference, I guess. Yeah. I guess that might, uh, the, might, there's that question, might have made it though. a bad example, because there's justification there, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was about to ask about, actually, because... Uh, Even in that case, it's transplantable, but it's not um, universally transplantable. It's like you can jump to this really far future or you can jump to medieval France. But if you go to like modern America, suddenly that might not work anymore, right? Um, But this this goes
1: into another argument where I'm going to make is that like as far as people who write adventure fiction or like stuff of that nature – Uh, I think there are certain environmental conditions required to make most of the stories that people write in that specific genre work. I know that this is just a general writing thing, but I feel like most of the people that listen to this and most of us talking primarily write adventure fiction. So it leans into things that are more lawless, uh, like, settings that are more lawless and more of a frontier most of the time, or at least an anarchic state where the state exists but just doesn't care about anybody. Because this gives room for, like, smaller characters to make bigger contributions to the world. Because when there's no, like, big daddy government to get in the way of characters quarreling or engaging each other in some kind of uh, feud or faffery, it it feels more intimate and more personal so that's why things like feudal uh medieval stuff the wild west space frontiers and all that are such popular settings for the type of fiction we tend to write and read
0: absolutely that reminds me i just uh, i've been reading through it's taking forever cuz it's super long the um the novel musashi and uh, assuming that it seems to be fairly uh realistic the depiction of um feudal japan and it's as if there aren't police like i know that the, like, the the local lord might have some dudes like as retainers that could serve as police if he decided to to send them out um, but the amount of times where it's like someone just ends up dead in the morning and everyone's like oh well uh we don't know who did this or like we don't want to, you know, I don't want to be the guy who sticks his neck out and like gets cut down or the same dude who cut this other dude down. Um But that's only possible because of the, the relative, um, let's say level of technology that, and environment that allows for that freedom. Whereas if you have, you know, modern day restrictions, if I shoot someone, there's like a, a decent chance it's not as high as we we would think but a decent chance that like essentially you're just going to get caught by the police you end up in a court system you don't really have any choices that you can make after that so unless i want to write like a uh like a modern thriller where the whole plot is like i'm running away from the police because i shot this guy um you can't really you can't really do the same kind of story and even then like uh, i think of blood meridian right so uh, a bunch of the characters in blood meridian toad vine is one i think bathcat there's other ones they're on the lamb and a big part of the plot is uh that they are in this gang purely so they can keep pushing west as and as far as they could go to essentially get away from their crimes which uh spoiler Where like they they don't get away uh for for a number of reasons and and not all of them is by the law that catches up with them but um but that story the motivations for those characters is certainly produced um by the by the setting um and then we we, we talked about genre right so um on this podcast i've, I've criticized the, the modern use of genre so um why do i bring that up well because i'm going to refer to the typical uses of genre um, and i want to discuss genre and setting in terms of how they relate to each other because i think here we're going to find that the i think I, i'm essentially going to try and justify my position but i think what we're going to find that oftentimes we call certain settings genres because of the exact relationship that we just described, because certain settings produce certain plot types, and they produce um, certain motivations for characters, and then that in turn will produce certain themes, right? And so then we end up describing those things because they are interrelated as being in of itself a a genre, Um and we'll see if that bears out, and 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 whether that's inevitability, right? I might have to, by the end of this, walk back my critique of genre as telos, and instead of instead you know refer back to the typical thing. So, let's we'll start with speculative fiction because uh, we're both speculative fiction writers. I think most of the listeners are going to be speculative fiction uh, readers as well, if they don't write it themselves. So it's like science fiction, fantasy, essentially. Um, so what what impacts would we say we might have already kind of gone over this um what impacts would we say that setting has specifically on um the genre of um let's say speculative fiction sci-fi fantasy like is there a distinction from the genre and the setting at all really uh
1: it the thing about specula fiction, especially during, uh, like, its golden age, is that it can be highly variable how, like, setting and genre interact, uh, but also, uh, it was a there was a period that it was a lot more fluid, so, like, you could have, like, the trappings of a fantasy story, but in, like, the 31st century and dealing with, uh, Technologies that you wouldn't associate with that time, like um. Lost my train of thought with that one, but I I don't think that there's a like hard marriage between uh, setting and genre necessarily. But I am glad you're using the t- you use the term speculative fiction because I feel like there the the shared ancestry of uh, fantasy and sci-fi is often underappreciated, which we've talked about before.
0: Yeah, essentially, um, the delineation, because my argument really is that um, speculative fiction, I, I really, I would like to get it out of, out from underneath the genre and into setting. And why do I make that argument? Well, We just talked about what setting is. It's the technology, it's the environment, and the productive society, religion, and government of that. Now, next to technology, I don't see why something like fantastical or magical or supernatural elements don't fit in exactly the same spot. Um, And I have down in my notes a section on world building and hard versus soft world building. But uh, essentially, technology... In the same way, like uh, I'm sure most listeners will be familiar with the terms hard and soft magic systems. And if you're not, well, if you search it up, you're going to go down a rabbit hole because people talk about that endlessly. I think Brandon Sanderson is the reason for that, but I have not read his works or listened to his lectures, so I do not know. However, the idea that, let's say, science fiction technology, as plausible as it sounds, is anything different than magic fundamentally in terms of fiction uh, seems silly to me. And so all of a sudden, that aspect of time, which is technology in relationship to setting, just if we accept that there's no real difference between, um, let's say, speculative technology and speculative magic fundamentally to to the writing of fiction, um, then my question is, if technology is an aspect of setting, why do why does fantasy and science fiction, those elements, why do those not get swallowed up? by setting can you think of a reason why they shouldn't be swallowed up by setting um
1: that's a good question i don't think that there's anything inherent about yeah okay so i think speculative yeah uh the idea of uh speculative fiction being swallowed up by setting is probably because there's nothing inherent like Genre is about plot and character, right? But there's nothing inherent to speculative fiction to plot and character necessarily. I mean, it can be, but that—that's getting into like, is the story about the setting? Is the story about like uh, the science or, or the magic system per se? Well, you see that more commonly in uh, hard science fiction, right? Where the where how people react to the technology is the story
0: yeah so in that case um so i think this is really where in relationship to setting it's really useful to think of genre as telos right so if i want to um, let's say cause a sense of intrigue or cause a sense of horror or um, excitement like a kind of a, like a, like a thriller would um, I could those are all feelings experiences that the reader can get and I can I can um, use setting along with plot along with character, those other elements to produce those feelings in the reader to different degrees and to different primacy right so um, I can use a speculative, science fiction or fantasy setting or an urban fantasy setting or a contemporary setting or historical setting, uh, or a super futuristic space setting that feels very much like uh, feudal Europe. Uh, I can do all those things. And with each of those things, depending on how I balance those setting elements with the plot elements and character elements, um, I can produce different feelings in the reader. Right. And I think I think that that is a much more coherent way of thinking than saying like, okay, or like if I, I think if I use like historical fantasy or historical fiction um, as being a genre, but then my question is, okay, well that tells me that the bit of fiction is set in a real historical time and place, but that doesn't tell me literally anything else. And so, as a genre, I'm like, what is, what is the word even doing, right? It does something in setting, tells me where it's set, and that might tell me about the plot and the characters, but that doesn't tell me about how it's going to make me feel as a reader at all.
1: Yeah, so uh, I I agree with that. I think a more useful like categorization of story is both setting and genre like together, uh, because like just saying this is a fantasy story or this story is set in this time and place say absolutely nothing. So, but two things together. So this is a science fiction detective story set on colonial Mars says a lot more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's just and a I
1: combination think, of a few more words.
0: Yeah. That's exactly what I'm going for actually. Right. So like, uh, so I think detective story, right. That's, that might be talking about plot, right? Because I think th- there's different plot types. The detective story fundamentally, the conflict resolves or revolves around a mystery. Okay, that tells that tells the reader a lot, right? There's like a, you can reliably, if if you want to read uh, a mystery or a detective story, like it's you know if you picked one up or if you didn't, right? Uh, because of the way yeah. the plot resolves. Um, if you say it's like um, a science fiction detective story set on Mars, okay, it tells you that it's. It tells you the technology and the environment. And it tells you how the plot's going to develop. Maybe it doesn't tell you too much about the the characters, but you still have a lot of information. Now, I think you might add a word like, um, like thriller to that, right? Because like, I know you've mentioned the term to me before techno thriller, right? Yes. Uh, okay, well, so... techno
1: thriller is a subgenre of like modern, typically modern thriller that focuses on the cutting edge of real technologies. This was a to- term coined whenever they were uh, initially crit- well, critiquing the genre that Tom Clancy more or less invented, which is like cutting edge Cold War technologies and spy thrillers and stuff.
0: Yeah, but that actually tells you a lot, though. Like yes. as 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 much as that might have just come from a critique particular of Tom Clancy, like if I say techno thriller, okay, I know technology is going to be um, at least for the time it was written in, pushing on the, the edge. So it's, it's speculative, but it's near it's near future or like modern speculative technology thriller, I know I'm gonna be there's gonna be action. I'm gonna and with that action is going to be there to give me a feeling of thrill and excitement, hence the name, right? Um yeah and we could and i think we could do that by we could combine those different uh let's say functions i like the word function because it strips the subjectivity out the function of the book or the primary function of the book to most people um because I've, i i i had legitimate critique well it's like well not every book reads the same way to everyone and that's true and i would also say not every medicine affects everyone the same way but you, like you know, uh, if you have an infection, like maybe penicillin is a good idea, even though it might not work for you. Like it would, might, if you're going to die, you're going to take the penicillin. Why? Because like it might help. Um yeah.
1: If, yeah, if a story is supposed to be a comedy and you don't find it funny at all, that doesn't make that story not, it was the intention for it to be a comedy.
0: <laughs> well, even if it wasn't right, like let's say the intention wasn't for it to be a comedy and um, it ended up being a comedy because a person like would say wrote it in such a way that they, they just ended up writing the opposite of what they wanted. And like 99% of people think it's funny. And then you're like the one person with no sense of humor that doesn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't make it not funny and not a comedy, um, You know, like uh, if Dave Chappelle gets up and tells a joke and someone's offended because of their politics or something, that doesn't make him not a comedian and that doesn't make the joke not funny. Because when he gets up in front of an audience, he uh, evokes laughter consistently from the audience. And so there's something objective there because he can reliably reliably produce that effect in the the context uh, that the joke was written in. So so that's getting kind of far in a field. Uh, but I, I did wanna I did want to spend some time there because I really, really think that a lot of what we call genre isn't genre. I think it's setting. And I think genre is how the work makes you feel. And I think it would be as authors and readers, we would be able to communicate with each other about fiction way, way better if we understood the difference between those those concepts right um between setting and between genre and between plot types right like that's why there's such a thing as um what is it like romantic fantasy so like a romance story romance fiction set in a fantasy setting like there's tons and tons and tons of this um and that tells you something right it's it's romantic it's meant to uh let's say the plot centers around a uh, a romantic relationship um it's assumedly made to if it's like a romantic comedy made make you feel kind of heart warmed and and happy because of the union of the characters whatever you want to call it so you could have like a romantic comedy fantasy story and that tells you a lot like a lot more than just i don't know what like how else you would try and uh to label it
1: yeah i think just the the idea of subgenre or like that's usually what people tend to call it should uh should be more d- of the default of labeling something because I for one am a big fan of increasingly specific subgenre categorizations which has been cu- become kind of like uh a trend in certain community- communities discussing fiction like like you were saying like I this person who specifically seeks out and enjoys or like romantic fantasy which is a very specific. Thing well, not less specific than what I'm thinking of, but uh, also a, a good example of this that is like this in title but not in execution is steampunk, which is like that name says a lot about what the setting should be, but most people just tend to ignore the latter part of it uh, because like steam implies a Victorian esque setting but slightly more technological based on like. Uh, you know, a branch off of technological development. The focus is more on like speculative Jules Verne esque stuff, but the punk part is supposed to imply like seedier characters in a more criminal environment, which tends to get ignored. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I went off on a tangent there,
0: but no, no, it's okay. So, uh, we talked a lot about, uh, setting in regard to genre just now, and we, we covered it a bit with plot, right? So, um, Let's say, for instance, if you have a mystery, uh, a mystery plot. uh, I I was calling them plot structures. I think plot type because I think they all share the same structure at the at the base. But the the categorization or the typology of the plot events fit uh, variable patterns. So, like mystery would be one, romance would be one. I think adventure. It's like the hero's journey. That definitely seems to be one um setting can affect those like quite a lot like uh we we mentioned communication technology and like you could ruin a mystery story in like two seconds by putting it in the wrong setting i think uh unless you take a a bunch of considerations like rewrite the whole story um yeah or or,
1: you you would have to probably tie the technology into like the uh into the problem right so like minority report philip k dick so like the the fact that people can preemptively solve crimes is part of the crux to the conflict
0: (laughs) yeah and that reminds me again we go back to dune with like the um the the shields Right. Like in order to make in, in the abandonment of AI, like there's a bunch of things in Dune that when you really look at it, what they are there for is to make the feudal politics work in the sci-fi set like setting, because otherwise it, it it's just weird. Like you, you can't really very, you know, very well sell this whole space Muslim thing, unless you have a reason for like knife fighting to, to be a thing where people have like, like laser guns, uh, you know, um, yeah so i think setting does you know even when we we try to make it mere trappings i think inevitably it ties into the plots um that's uh i would say like adventure even right so depending on how easy or hard it is to travel that really determines whether you can have an adventure story right i think that's why you don't see that many modern uh you wouldn't see like a modern urban adventure story for instance right like the urban aspect of it kind of murders the uh the adventure i think because of how easy it is to get around an urban setting like you either have public transport you have your own car um you you know things are built on top of each other so you can just walk over there uh yeah i mean
1: this is certainly true in the Western world, but uh, you could just uh, you could write a story about like uh, a security team taking a businessman to Mogadishu, and suddenly, if something goes uh, bottoms up there, it becomes an urban adventure story pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> of them trying to
1: like get out of this hyper-violent urban environment of these different factions trying to kill
0: them. <laughs> yeah, fair enough with that, right? Because urban, it doesn't tell you that much. Right, because it, like it tells you about the technology, but it doesn't tell you about the place, the environment. Um, mm-hmm. so that's an aspect of setting, but that, but then again, that's another aspect of setting that um determines what plot types really really work. Uh, this could even be true for um for like romantic subplots, let's say. Uh, I'm going to give it a shout out to Michael H, aka Eternus, aka Captain. Um, He's been on the podcast before. I've read some of the fiction he's working on. I won't want to spoil any of his work, so I won't. Um, but what I will say is that there are ed- elements of his um, setting that affect the way that characters think about romantic relationships. And they they make certain, let's say, uh, complications in a romantic subplot. Uh, Some of them they make relevant and some they make irrelevant in the same way that like Dune makes certain things from like the feudal age come back and other things go away. So I think uh, like for instance, if you have um, the – like if arranged marriages and extremely ordered like uh, expectations and hierarchical systems that determine like your life outcomes and then also – uh, let's say that, uh, yeah. We'll, let's just use those. That's going to affect how characters relate to one another, um, and so if you, if you've got your your male female pair up lead, right? Um, how they interact and what you expect as a reader, and what can and cannot be delivered, and and how that's going to, uh, let's say, how that conflict that sub that subplot conflict is going to resolve, even at that level, right? Uh, something with like romance that definitely gets an, an influence which is pretty significant because that's actually fairly universal right like the way that two human beings relate to each other at the level of like romantic interest goes all the way down to like our base biology otherwise like you know you wouldn't reproduce so um i think that's actually that's, that's fairly interesting to note uh what about character right like so setting and in its influence on uh, characters and how those characters are motivated, how they think and feel, what those characters value. I think there's a lot, there's a lot, lot here. is um, there any particular yeah. examples that pop into your mind?
1: Um, uh, let me think. So like a lot of the uh, tougher characters in the contemporary fiction of like the fifties, pretty much all of them were in world war two <laughs> by virtue of uh. Them being, you know, we gotta have an excuse of why this guy has all this experience and why he's such a tough guy and stuff. And then, you know, it's the 50s, everybody's just coming out of World War II. And a lot of, like, the audience for these stories were also there, so they kind of see themselves in the plot. So that's an example of where time and place of both when it was written and when it's set can kind of, uh, you know, inform why the story is the way it is. So, like... that was very common in, like, especially uh, thriller and detective fiction to have this, like, uh, former paratrooper turned detective in the hard streets of Los Angeles or whatever. So, uh, that's one example. And of course, uh, Conan the Barbarian is also very informed by his setting. He is a uh, wilderness-born individual. Grew up in a super tough, rugged environment. Who comes to the civilizations of the Hyborians and is like, all, he hasn't leg up on them because he has had to live an internally difficult life, while most of them have had much softer experiences.
0: Yeah, you, you get a certain to so the character's capabilities. Um, also like what their what their value, so Conan is a good example, and then I want to talk about Musashi again, so with Conan um you know he is often a thief, he is often a mercenary, um sometimes he's just an adventurer uh he's been a pirate, but all of these things come from the you know rather decentralized expansive world where you can. Uh, one, you can get away with crimes. Uh <laughs> and that, and there there's a world to explore and there is there are lost ancient civilizations where the loot hasn't already all been pulled out of the ground. Um, you know, now we live in like the post colonial world where basically the the powers of Europe got their got the chance to plunder all of the like ancient lost treasures of ancient civilizations that were either buried under the ground or just left sitting there by the natives who didn't think they were valuable that happened quite that happened a lot that's how if if your th- if your stuff ended up in a british museum um you know post colonial countries it's because unfortunately uh your more recent ancestors didn't realize the significance of what your more ancient ancestors had and the british showed up and then like your more recent ancestors were like whatever i don't care about this uh so that's why that happened. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah with conan Um, You have to have a world where you can get in trouble with the law. I I bring the story up a lot, Queen of the Black Coast, I think it is, but uh, I really love that story. At the very beginning, um, let's say Conan, he was out drinking with a buddy and uh, the buddy's girl, like some town guard started hitting on his buddy's girlfriend. So his his buddy killed the dude. um, And... Conan thought this was perfectly reasonable. Now the buddy skipped town, but Conan stuck around and he gets arrested. And they're questioning him in court. And he's like, look, I'm not I'm not gonna rattle my my friend. For one thing, he's my friend. So even if he did the wrong thing, I'm not gonna tell you. But also, I think what he did was perfectly reasonable. Uh and then essentially, after this really great line where like the judge talked like Basically scolded him about civil responsibilities and other things that Conan didn't understand. It was like essentially the a paraphrase of the line. He like cuts his way past the guards, gets on a ship and like GTFO, right? Um you couldn't do that outside of the the setting that allows for it, you know? Uh it kind of makes It's you hard wrong to do that.
1: No, Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to do that in the country with the FBI. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I think the same thing with Musashi. So, um, with Musashi, it, there is this, he was in this time and place in Japan at which uh, people really could, it was before everyone got really soft. Like you just saw, started to see the softening of certain schools. Cause they just finished a war. And like during the time of the war, all the warriors are like super battle hardened. Um, but they were going through some transformations. But this was a time where, um a a person could you know that that stereotype of like the traveling ronin like who lives out in the wood and wanders from town uh wanders from town to town and is like challenging people and getting famous uh as a swordsman if you don't set it in that particular time in Japan. Uh, with the culture that they had, like the particular honor culture and the fact that lineage was very important and that they they have all this influence from um, Confucianism and Taoism and Zen Buddhism to like, pursue a way. And so just the fact that you're really good at a thing, whatever that thing is, like suddenly gains this respect that affords you a living, even if it's kind of weird. Uh, like to a mo- like a, a modern person, it's like, why does this, anyone care about this vagrant Musashi? But then from the context of the setting, it's like when some master artist merchant um, who is like a, a painter and a sculptor, um, like sees this other guy who also has mastered this art, they immediately have this respect for one another because of that idea of, ah, oh, he is also an adherent of the way, uh, <laughs> you know, because they, they kind of have a, a common religious cultural background, so that's another way that setting can really affect what kind of characters you can have. Like you really can't have um, a Musashi in the way that he is depicted in that story. Like you could still have like oh some super skilled sort badass swordsman, but you don't have the same character. Like with Conan, you have this lawless barbarian who has this this disregard with the civilizations he's in. With Musashi, what you have is um a wild child grown up who is uh, let's say, in his own way, seeking enlightenment as a redemption for what he feels like up to that point was a wasted life after basically being scolded by takuan Um so you know, and there's a lot more relatability there, but you can't with, with Musashi like if he was just some random, you know, a badass swordsman um like i say myself as a writer couldn't uh couldn't relate to him as much but as someone who's tried to seek like his particular way in the world and to live by the way that he feels will bring him to essentially his uh, potential enlightened self. Now you can switch enlightenment with like fulfilling ones, telos or purpose. And it's like, well, I'm trying to live as a writer in the same way that Musashi is trying to live as a swordsman and It's a particular way of being right. That is more valuable. Like, so you can't transplant that into just any setting.
1: Yeah. So um, it's, go ahead, go ahead. it's certainly a car. It's yeah. It's certainly a character archetype though. It is a universal and reoccurring like the, the purposeless warrior, which is one of my favorite archetypes, is certain, certainly one that has to be put in certain times and places. Um, uh, this is why that there's so much overlap between the, Jap- the Japanese samurai of the, uh, of the post-warring states period and the, uh, the cowboy of the post-Civil War period, and why there's so much interest back and forth between those genres, especially in 20th century film. Uh, you, you see that um, in, in those films, like samurai and cowboy films, both were borrowing from each other very liberally to inspire different plots. Uh, I, I think Yoimbo was inspired by Stagecoach, uh, which was an early western film, and by extension The Magnificent Seven was inspired by Seven Samurai and stuff. But both are fundamentally about these people who had lived lives of violence and had to find new purpose in life, or find a new direction after either they won or they lost, and then they were just like, "Well, that's over, but what now?
0: Yeah, all right, we don't have too much time. I wanted to cover some aspects of world building um so I have in my notes here I mentioned it before soft versus hard world building um I've also heard these called uh." essentially like narrow and deep versus broad and shallow. Although uh, I think there's intermixing of those, uh, of the, the virtues of those two things. If someone's willing to do the work over a long period of time, particularly over a series of books. But um, in regard to, if I say the words like hard versus soft world building, what does that make you think?
1: Uh, hard world building. Typically I feel like the story is focused on the world because you are mostly using your story as an avenue to explore a world versus soft world building in which the world is there as backdrop for the characters and you're focused on the characters but the world just happens to have neat stuff alongside it and stuff that informs what they've got going on at least in my mind
0: yeah so any examples of hard world building that pop into mind
1: immediately uh middle earth is probably the most like archetypal one in at least uh fantasy uh in which uh tolkien wrote it because he wanted to build a world versus explore characters uh dune is also like this where it's a science fiction story that the writer was thinking the world first and then the characters
0: uh yeah so we see like the laws of physics and nature or the laws of um magic or the history is very much developed in in hard world building it's specific uh rather than being vague yes uh here's a penultimate hard example i don't know if you've read it uh probably probably not but i have and uh i i like uh want to mention shad and brooks this has nothing to do with his recent ai art controversy i know that 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 got him in a lot of people's eye um but way before that i had read uh, watched his youtube videos so i got his book uh i appreciate shad i did not think his book was very well written and i think his book was not very well written because of his execution of very very hard world building like you can say he has a hard magic system and he does but he extended that to the world itself um it, have you read Shadow? Uh, is it Shadow of a Conqueror or Shadow of the Conqueror? I think
1: I have not read Shad's stuff. Uh, I am aware that uh, some it's, uh, it's got mixed uh, reception from various people, even before like the controversy stuff. um like like you were saying. <laughs> it's
0: like, yeah, uh, I'll just go ahead. go ahead. All right. Well, if i want to take it, um, I want to explain why we could perhaps compare this to dune right because dune um i think some of its character dialogue character work and prose could use work but i don't think the execution of the setting is wrong in dune i actually think the execution of the setting is in dune is great uh whereas with uh, shadow of a conqueror a big issue with the the execution of the setting is it tries to be i think hyper realistic more than it tries to convey and it also tries to be hyper original as opposed to conveying verisimilitude um, which I, it's kind of skipping around on my notes here but I think this is going to be relevant. so um, there are let's say very particular laws of physics that um, in that book that Shad takes a long time to just straight out explain. Um, that is perhaps let's say a mistake in prose. I don't think it's a mistake in setting. One thing that I think might be a mistake in setting is, let's say, uh, how he handles the criminal, the the criminal justice system. So he essentially has this league of religious, uh, equ- the equivalent of of superheroes, right? Uh, because they have to fight these evil monsters every so many years when they come out uh, and fight them back. And there's a particular scene. I know this is going to seem kind of weird and not related to setting, but I think it is. So there's a particular scene where they, they, two characters run around and they fight crime all day. And, uh, Shad just like breaks down a ra- rough percentages of the, or not percentages, numbers, but you can think of those percentages of the types of, of criminals that they manage to, uh, to stop. And it, like he very flippantly, um, has this, like, high number of, like, sexual assault and, and rapes that get stopped. And also throughout the whole book, uh, rape happens over and over and over and over again. Now, why is this relevant to setting? Here's why. And this is, uh, is going to be useful as a, as a very extreme example to you listeners out there. So I don't know this, but I have this really big suspicion knowing about Shad that he did, like, autistic levels of probably, like, crime research. And look at numbers. And I'm willing to bet he looked at like urban settings and then looked at like sexual assault numbers and saw okay, in these particular types of settings, um, that this is the most common crime. So if I'm going to depict crime being, you know, happening with my light powered superheroes fighting crime, here are the rough numbers that I'm going to give. And um, so he had a very original setting. So he had to exposit and explain lots of elements, lots and lots of elements of it. Cause the, the physics on the whole world worked differently. Like instead of it being spherical, like gravity pulled down and it was like a sphere that teleported you from the. So he had a lot of stuff that he had to explain. Um, and in that setting where he had to explain all this stuff, he then also. So that's originality, which isn't too bad, right? You can, you you want some some things that aren't necessarily going to convey verisimilitude that are going to display novelty but he also input an amount of realism that did not um that did not actually make the setting feel either more realistic or more compelling it didn't make the characters feel better it didn't do any it didn't help the plot um it didn't it didn't do anything to the theme um and what it did do is get him in some hot water for some people about his flippancy uh with just like throwing rape around every three seconds (laughs) um now why am i bringing all that up i'm gonna put i'm gonna pause at something uh at this point i think that the considerations that we have for setting um are really only useful and relevant if they relate to uh, one of the elements that we have talked about before right so the setting has to do something to facilitate genre and by genre i mean the telos what it does to the reader it has to do something to the plot or it has to do something to the characters or the theme or or, or very likely a combination of those things and i think even if you don't intend for it to do so it often does but, if it doesn't, if we go for uh autistic levels of realism with our hard world building, I think that it hurts the story because the hardness of it is trying to be in a weird way too hard right it It's not touching on the um i don't want to call them subjective elements but the the other elements of the story as opposed to. Um, is this explained with exact real-world logic. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, uh, and it touches on another thing that I particularly harp on whenever I'm discussing stuff like this, especially realism in fiction, is that typically we are reading fiction not for a quote-unquote realistic portrayal of a thing, but we are looking in on the most interesting times of a particular character or group of characters lives right we're not reading a story about the uh, their daily routine or whatever most of the time there's a few exceptions to this especially if their lives daily routine is particularly interesting but most of the time we're not just taking okay this is what happens every day and i'm just going to tell a story about that so, whenever you're talking, you were talking about him using like outright daily statistics of something to like inform how much he portrays something. I don't feel like that's necessarily how statistics work in real life, but uh, <laughs> but it also isn't very conducive to storytelling.
0: No, <clears throat> uh, right? It's uh, and I think we if we shift uh, very shortly. Uh, with the time we have left on the softer world building considerations right so i think perhaps soft is even the wrong word i think vague like vague versus specific is probably those are probably better words and i think of if i'm making uh, uh the world building soft what i'm doing is i'm only describing the uh, the world or the setting in so far as it's necessary to facilitate one of those other um Literary elements that we describe, right, like by definition, right, so if you have like a a a fairy tale, for instance, they typically only go into detail insofar as it's relevant to the other elements um of the story. Uh, do you have any particular examples that come to mind that are like this
1: um like typically um whenever we talk about this sort of stuff, like when the words that I associate with soft world building is uh show, don't tell. It's, like, the only things that you know about the world are what are immediately relevant to the characters. And, uh, in my own writing, and, of course, because I take inspiration from Pulp Fiction stuff, uh, that tends to be how they handle things. It's, like, you don't get to know much about the world, you don't get a whole lot of exposition, except when it becomes super relevant. And this, and sometimes I take this a little too far, in which I just, like, don't want to explain or exposit anything, and I just want to show a thing. Uh, but this can also be a bad thing, I guess, because then some, pe- uh, especially if your setting is particularly weird, and you're doing a all show no tell sort of approach, you just uh, it just comes off as baffling to some people, and some people really aren't into that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there, I think there's a balance. You mentioned as a, an example of hard world building, um, like, like Tolkien's, um, like Lord of the Rings series and the the books around it. Um, I think that's also a good example of, and I haven't read them, so I'm speaking from ignorance, but I can speak to you, Nate, who's not speaking from ignorance. Do you not think that um, those books also are a good example in some regard of soft, uh, world building elements as well particularly when it comes to the more fan uh fantastical and magical elements of the world
1: i think the hobbit is like that a lot but also like uh in re- in terms of magic systems so like the, ho- the the lord of the rings the hobbit and all that stuff doesn't have a hard magic system and also no fiction before the advent of like role-playing games had them <laughs> Well, with a few very few exceptions, but like 99% of fantasy before the invention of like Dungeons and Dragons didn't have hard magic systems, and it's not something that I think is, is something super needed most of the time. I mean, you can do that, and some people love that, and I fully support people who enjoy that, but I think that um, if Tolkien got away with not explaining anything magical at all. You can probably get away with it as a writer, if if you're a fantasy writer out there worried about that sort of thing. But yeah, certainly, like his approach to the mystic was much more pagan in nature. So, uh, like his his core inspiration was Beowulf and Norse sagas, and uh, of course Anglo-Saxon folklore. So um, in Beowulf, they don't explain. They don't really explain why Grendel is a thing for the most part. They cite lineage from like ancient biblical characters, which is probably something Christians added later. But they don't explain why that this this monster is the way it is, or how it's able to do the things it does, or why dragons exist. But they just do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I actually think for granted. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I think actually when we talk about genre as telos, like what is this meant to do for the reader? Uh, This is something I've gained experience from for doing some, I'm uh, a ghostwriter on a particular project for it's a literary RPG, which I really think should be called like a role playing game novel. Are because the other way around it, be, anyway, that's not important. The important part is, uh, it's outside of my normal, this is the first like lit RPG type thing I've written. It's essentially the equivalent of a hard magic system, right? Because, uh, I get extremely hard, like as hard as hard gets in some sense. Um, and I noticed that the, what the reader wants is different. Right. So I'm not a typical reader of this, uh, this genre. And uh, if we're going to call it that, and I would say it's actually setting. And what the setting does is it facilitates the genre. What is the genre then? Um, I think we need a word for this, but I do think that there is this kind of vicarious, um, let's say, a feeling of vicarious competence right like in the same way that you can get uh if you're reading an adventure story it's like you you're vicariously living out the adventure so the experience of going somewhere new and having that freedom you might think of it as a vicarious autonomy um and i think the harder the magic system is the more vicariously the reader can live out that feeling of competence and power right there's something there i don't have the exact words for it um but i definitely when the reader can feel like they can logically like uh like if they if they if they had these powers they would know exactly how to do it to succeed therefore they are now masters of whatever the circumstance they're in in the same way that when people play video games and they get good at those it's essentially mastering a set of closed ended problems as opposed to having open ended problem solvings and i think the hard magic system. I don't even think you can blame that on Dungeons and Dragons. I think you can blame that on modern Dungeons and Dragons, like probably 3.5 and after. Uh, and yeah, that, the reason that's probably likely. Well, the reason I say that is because, like you would know, Nate, uh, like original Dungeons and Dragons, the the stats are so simple that it requires players to um, make stuff up right on the fly with with these few numbers they have and so and so yeah i think that that would be my my uh, understanding that the harder your magic is in terms of your setting if it has magic the more it plays into the feeling of uh mastery if you will to the reader and i will have to think about what genre cuz i'd like to stick with the terms that already exist if we can but i'm sure that there is some word that gets used for genre that that conveys that feeling of mastery and competence by characters who lived out through the reader. Um that exists. It's
1: not a it's not a genre, but we typically refer to people who are really interested in displaying competence over systems as theory crafters, <laughs> although usually used derogatorily. Uh so the people who are really into three point five D and D are uh typically theory crafters, people who love mixing and matching, like, things in the hard magic or feat system to develop, like, unstoppable synergies and stuff. And, uh, for some people, that is that is the whole appeal, and I guess that might be a greater appeal of magic systems, like you were saying, like, figuring, like, learning the magic system and, like, coming up with theories about how you'd use it, and stuff like that. So, maybe.
0: Yeah. Alright, Nate, we have gone on long uh i don't want to keep you too long is there anything in regard to setting that you might have wanted to talk about or wanted to mention that we didn't really get around to
1: Not off the top of my head yeah.
0: all right uh well thank you nate before we go uh i will redirect the readers to my Kickstarter campaign i'm gonna have like an outro at the end so i won't harp on it um Meanwhile, check out my website, com. There's all kinds of stuff there. I almost never mentioned, I've got like a blog I do on, uh, right now on East Asian philosophy, uh, eventually going to get around to alchemy, but um, it's taking a while to get through all the East Asian stuff. Um, I also do uh, wild owl aphorisms there. So if you want to just look at some, uh, let's say, it, it's how, really, it's how I vent my frustration with the world in a very... Uh, attempting to be witty way. So if you want to uh, have a laugh, read those that are fun. Uh, but more importantly, check out uh, my author reviews. I review indie authors books, um, you should go there, read the review, um, check out their books, they are all working really, really hard. I know a lot of them via the internet. And they are actually very talented writers, quite a few of them more talented than my fellow students in grad school were at the time. Granted, we were still in grad school and I also was much worse when I was in grad school. So no, I'm not if, if you're if you went to school with me, don't don't feel like I'm insulting you, please. Uh other than those reviews, I've got my own book on there, Wand Smoke Broken. Um, you can check that out. Weird fantasy fiction uh reads like a Western cross with like a literary novel, if that makes any sense. I don't know if it does. Uh my editing services are there and I can't think of anything else. So uh, and Nate, you don't have anything? You any place you wanna send people to keep up with your stuff or anything like that?
1: Not at this point in time.
0: (laughs) All right. Sometime in the future, you'll be able to check out Nathaniel Cumberledge, and we will advertise (laughs) him here on the podcast. But until that time, it was great having you, Nate. Thank you, listeners, for listening to this conversation about setting, and we will see you next time.